It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Julian King with you. And is it is that right, Al? <clears throat> only three more sleeps until Christmas. I hope you've been nice. I hope you've been nice. It is great to have your company on SEN 1170 in Sydney, SENQ 693 in Brisbane, SEN 1620 on the Gold Coast. And anywhere across the globe via the SEN app. Now, I need your help on the program today. The open line number, open for business. Can we get a prize? Can we, can we muster up a prize? A nice little stocking fill-up. For our listeners, just uh, prior to Christmas, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy, and the text line oh four five seven seven three six seven three six. Damien Fleming is going to join us, head of the Boxing Day Test. Sen track analyst Chris Nelson will be here as well, and a few other bits and bobs throughout the course of the show this morning. Look, I, I can promise you this: this is my festive season guarantee that I will not be spending the first hour of the show talking about the fortunes of the Geelong Cats and the Richmond Tigers in the AFL next year. You have, I, I solemnly swear I will not talk about the Geelong Cats and the Richmond Tigers and how they're going to go for season 2023. Promise. Now, to the issue that has dominated the back pages this week, of course, the, the A-League Melbourne mob. I saw this in the Herald. That police have identified now 21 people, 21, including the man who appeared to throw a trolley. 13 have been charged following that violent pitch invasion at the Melbourne Derby Saturday night at, at Amy Park. It's called Operation Astute. And our update comes as Football Australia Chief Executive James Johnson, who's been very impressive throughout this whole saga, says that the governing body is preparing to dish out life bans to up to 10 more people. Handed out two yesterday, and now life bans to up to 10 more people. So Melbourne Victory submitted its response to a show cause notice from Football Australia as to why it shouldn't face serious sanctions over fan behaviour. And the FA is working now on what sanctions will be issued. So the process or the statement read, Football Australia understands the importance of swift action. However, it will take whatever time necessary to work through this submission before determining what sanctions will be imposed. So victory now next scheduled to play Boxing Day night. That is an away game at Amy Park. And that's against another Melbourne team, reigning champs Western United. I'll credit James Johnson here. Swift action is what's needed. But he's been cautious about it as well because you want to get it right. Swift action is what we're getting. And this is very good PR for the FA. I don't think I can say the same thing about the APL. Now, David Warner. You know, it's funny. I don't think there's a more polarising figure in Australian cricket. and probably isn't than David Warner. Almost Australian sport. Right? Nobody sits on the fence when it comes to D. Warner. Either love him or hate him. Whether it's captaincy bans, whether it's form, doesn't matter what it is. Well, his batting coach, Warner's batting coach, insists that there has not been an Australian cricketer as fit at the age of 36 as Dee Warner. And further to that, says he hasn't shown the same decline as Ricky Ponting did in his twilight years. I speak of Trent Woodhill. He's a smart man. I've spoken to Trent a number of times uh, on the network. He's a batting coach, as we know, to, to several of the greats of the game. And he's watched him closely. He said, look, I haven't seen any decline in Warner's footwork or hand-eye coordination. And this is a despite a, a lean run with the bat, as we know. Restricted him to an average of less than 21 in 10 tests this year. Hasn't scored 100 for a couple of years. 
Career average now dropped below 46. It's 45 and a half. Now, he's worked with Warner through the recent series at home against England, including a one-on-one session at Adelaide Oval before Warner made 86. Warner reached the three figures in the final ODI at the MCG. So his one-day form in those meaningless one-days against England was good. So he was seeing him well, he was hitting him well. And he said, I was expecting to have to spend a bit of time with him. He was moving great. His feet were good, late contact with the ball. And, yeah, we understand these things are a fine line, and he watches him closely. He said, I kept a, a close eye on the first 20 balls in tests. I'm not seeing anything wrong. Because a lot of people, myself included, have been guilty on this, are drawing comparisons to the twilight of Ricky Ponting's career, but he said, you know, they're poles apart in terms of how they're seeing the ball and how they're playing. I have a lot of respect for Trent Woodhill as coach, or as a coach. Because do you recall, it was Warner again that was struggling in the lead-up to the last T20 World Cup, not the one here in Australia, the one in the UAE that the Aussies won. Remember at the start, he was sadly out of form. He noticed a few things, got him practising with a tennis ball, spoke to him on the phone. Next thing you know, uh, Warner exploded. He has a keen eye. He's keen eye. I'm backing Warner to score 100 for this series. Is out. I'm putting it out on the line today. Warner will score 100 either in Melbourne or Sydney. I'm calling it. As for Ponting, though, it's one of my lasting memories in recent times in cricket. One of the saddest things I've seen is see him sort of spread eagle on the turf after being skittled by you know, the medium pace, and that's being generous of Jacques Callas. This is horrible to see. And Ponting, I mean, career average 51.85 billion, 168 tests. He averaged 33 or less in six of his final seven series. And then that final campaign against South Africa, 6.4. His footwork had certainly betrayed him. I don't think Warner is on such a steep decline, but I guess only time will tell. 0457 736 736. Now, uh, Channel 9, as Ben Horn is reporting, has emerged as a shock 11th hour contender to reclaim cricket's TV rights as Channel 7's hopes fade. So maybe we'll hear the, the wide world of sports theme again. That'd be nice. Can you imagine? You say Channel 9 News in Sydney still have, you know, Peter Harvey 9 News sort of as, as the godfather of the newsroom. Can you imagine Channel 9 getting the cricket again and just introduced by Richie Benno? Wouldn't that be something? So it's understood Cricket Australia bosses remain nervous about taking the plunge and partnering with Channel 10. I think it's worthy of a plunge if it gets ODI cricket from out behind the paywall. You know they're going to be backed in. I can't see Paramount taking the same legal course as Channel 7. Because at the moment they're challenging their agreement with Cricket Australia the federal court, because they said, you know what? You oversold the Big Bash. So the talks with Nine, as we know, they were partners of cricket for 40 years, indicate that they'd perhaps cooled on re-entering a new arrangement with existing free-to-wear partner Channel 7, who, as you know, is currently suing them in the federal court. So Paramount, they remain the leading bidder with a reported offer of $1.5 billion. But they've got a few concerns about the ailing performance of Ten as a network. And this is, of course, compared to, to Nine and Seven, who rate a lot better. They're worried about Paramount's reach as a streaming service compared to Fox Sports and KO Sports. Reasonable concerns, reasonable. And one of the main hitches in a deal being done with Paramount is also the concerns about the reliability of the streaming app service. And we've heard from A-League fans about how unreliable this service is, how much work needs to be done bring it up to par with some of the other high-quality streaming services that we know. 
But anyway, Paramount and Telia, don't worry about that. We're promising new technology. We don't know yet. It's untested. They're going to have to promise new technology. And that's what Packard did. Packard said, you know what? More cameras at the ground. Uh, let's film it from both ends. Hadn't been done. Wasn't that revolutionary? And the other issue that they have about partnering with Paramount and 10 is reach. Is reach. So 7 and 9, I mean, they're the leading free-to-air networks by a long way compared to 10. And the numbers show they're in danger of dropping below a 20% rating share. And so they know already that 9 and 7, they've seen what they can do with sport. So it's a safe bet in that respect. Do they want the money, though? Do they want the money? Fox Sports KO have a reputation as sports leaders. Oh, you know what? We should get somebody on the program to talk about that can explain this in more detail, the dangers and the pitfalls of siding with Tenet Paramount. Because you see the upside, what's the down, downside? Because they're lukewarm about partnering up with them. Is it all about money? Well, evidently, it's not all about money. They knocked back the 10 bid last time. But at the cost of what? One day cricket behind a paywall. This is the issue, right? These things are very, very complicated. Very complicated. And there could be complications with how Nine and Fox Sports and News Corp could come to an arrangement giving the, I guess, competing interests of Stan and KO and respective newspaper groups. And this is the other thing that hasn't been talked about. People assume, oh, yeah, free-to-air, anti-siphoning. But Channel 9 have Stan, Channel 10 have Paramount. So you might say, oh, okay, well, they've got the rights, but they could still bury it behind their own paywall through their streaming services. That is a current loophole in the anti-siphoning laws. And that's being addressed at the moment. Bottom line is this. And we saw the issue that they had in England when they put all cricket behind a paywall. Participation dived. When it was at its peak, that magnificent 2005 Ashes series, that's when it should have been on public display. People were engaged in the game. They put it behind a paywall. And the participation numbers fell off a cliff. That is the problem that they have if they're hiding forms of cricket behind a paywall. One day cricket on its deathbed, some would say. I think all forms need to be on free-to-air. One day cricket, as I said, needs to come out from behind a paywall. And that is the advantage of buddying up with Tennant Paramount. And it's a very lucrative bid offer. Crazy big bash last night. Did you see this? A hat trick to Michael Neeser across two overs. Across these things can be easy to miss. But the Renegades triumphed. They were four for nine at one stage. It's a modest total, 138 they were pursuing. But if you're bowling four for nine, you're thinking, oh, okay, I reckon we're a red-hot chance here. I wonder what the Winvis stats would have said. What do you reckon they would have said? Having said that, there's a reason the man known as Dre Russ has been so sought after over the years. Because Andre Russell, arguably the greatest finisher in T20 history. Arguably the greatest finisher in T20 history. And he was superb, Andre Russell. Absolutely superb. 57 of 42. Six sixes. Six sixes. So the strike rate of 135 was actually pretty modest by his lofty standards. But six sixes, that'll do it for you. So well done to the Renegades. And Aaron Finch, 31 off 43, subdued, knocked by the captain, but he's got 100 runs in his last two digs, including a man of the match performance. They're happy for the men, very happy for Finchy. Look, most of you know I'm a Dragons fan. This was a big issue on Breakfast with Jimmy and Joe this morning. Michael Carianis and the Telegraph had that story about this, this member survey. Now, I'm going to put my hand up here. Jimmy was stunned when he found out I wasn't a member. I, I didn't renew my membership the last couple of years. I have my reasons. My son, hopefully, he's not listening, but he's getting his kids' membership for his birthday in a couple of weeks' time. I might have to, but so so I missed this. I missed this. 
I don't know plenty of Dragons members that, you know, a couple of general questions, member surveys, sort of buried in there. Oh, how'd you feel about a name change? Maybe disassociating ourselves with Illawarra, a couple of other, hang on, what? This, rewind, I'll just, just double take on this. Uh, are you serious? For what it's worth, name changes, logo changes are absurd, cannot happen, will not happen. And if you're a Sir George at the moment, right, so you've got access to that massive nursery of talent, but it's effectively your team. You ask any Illawarra fan. I remember years ago it was Andrew Denton on, it might have been the Triple M, and he was pushing against South Sydney merging. It's been a couple of years out of the comp, and then here they are, prior to the league once more. And he said to an Illawarra fan, how do you feel about having your socks running around in the competition? And he sort of say it tongue-in-cheek, but he wasn't entirely wrong. The, the point of what he was saying is, well, this is all you get out of it. Where is your club's identity? And now they don't even have their socks. St. George, Illawarra, Dragon, they look like the Dragons. You go to the grounds, what are they cheering? St. George, St. George. Leave the merger as it is. Because it saved both clubs back in 1999. You may have a different opinion. Happy to hear from Dragons fans today on the text line 0457 736 736. And I want to take your calls as well. one 1170 The Dragons name change. Do you want an unmerge? Can you see a name change? Can you see a logo change? We had the Sydney Tigers, the Sydney Bulldogs, Sydney Roosters, Sydney City Roosters. Still call them Easts. Bulldogs had a logo change. Remember the Eels had a logo change. People are traditionalists. This is why they love their team. This is why they love their game. You're in a fast-paced, ever-evolving world. They like to stick with what they know. Be very careful about doing these sorts of things because you can undo decades, hundreds of years of history in the process. News Corp today have listed their top 100 sports stars. You know, you always see these lists, don't you, at this time of the year? It's a bit quiet, waiting for the Boxing Day tests. Brisbane finished early. A little bit of rugby league news, not a hell of a lot. Okay, Latrell and... Cody and Cookie re-signed for South. It's great news for the, the red and green. But what else is happening? You know what? We need to fill some column inches. Let's do our top 100. Top 100. We might run through that today. I'll get your thoughts on that too. Suffice to say, Ben Stokes, the England captain, was number two. Number two. I'm a big admirer of Ben Stokes as a cricketer, but you can't tell me out of all the sports people on the planet today that he's ranked second. You know, so what's the criteria? Okay, you know, is it about influence and impact? Yeah, I get that. And people are fawning over Basball. Clearly, they didn't see Travis Headbat in the last Ashes series, did they? So we'll go through that today. Fox Sports, I didn't get a chance to mention this yesterday. Had a look at some of the opening options. Say Warner's to fall over tomorrow. Uh, who are you picking? Are you picking Marcus Harris? Are you picking Bancroft again? It's been a reasonable form. Renshaw, Bryce Street. Some have suggested maybe open with Travis Head, maybe open with Cam Green. So if water falls over tomorrow, who's going to open the batting for Australia? There's stacks to talk about. And the Gabba, of course, got the below average rating, the Gabba, after the two-day test. I mean, I thought some of the reaction was way, way over the top, way over the top. Yeah, it was green. It didn't bake. I get that. And they thought it would sort of flatten out. And this is the thing about Brisbane. Because they expect so much heat, so they leave a bit in it early. So they say first session or first two sessions, day one, bend the back, you get reward. That eventually becomes a beautiful wicket to bat on. We didn't see that evolution. But it was some pretty ordinary batting. Can you send somebody out, send the investigators out to find what happened to the footwork of the South Africans in the second innings, please? Because no one could find it. No one could find it. Drop in pitches now as a result of that. 
this issue has read its ugly head again. Because at the moment, uh, only two grounds don't have drop-ins. That's the Sydney Cricket Ground and the Gabba. Is it time to look at a drop-in pitch? Sydney or Brisbane? I've got to say, you know, Adelaide, which always had traditionally the, the reputation of being the, the baddest paradise in turns on day five, their drop-in pitch has been pretty good. Perth's as well. There's a whack of the reputation of being hard and fast and bouncy. And, and they've done very well, I must say, in trying to replicate that reputation that Perth has had over the years. And, yeah, I know they don't play at the Wacker anymore, but you know, still the characteristics of pitches over in the West. And then Melbourne, which used to be an absolute Barry Crocker. You remember that Ashes 2017 where Cook got the double 100, Warner got 100, Smith got 100. Uh, that could have gone for 10 days and you had no result in that test. It was probably the, one of the worst test pitches I've ever seen. And that was a drop-in. So is it time to look at a drop-in pitch in Brisbane and in Sydney? If not, why not? Dragons' name changes. And David Warner's decline. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. That is the open line number and the text line. Text me now, 0457-736-736. Uh, Julian King on the chair on SEN Mornings.